Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. A very uh, warm evening to you, Matthew. How are you doing this evening? Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, best wishes for you and, and your listeners. To you too. So, Matthew, w- we know that uh, the fire is still ablaze and uh, um, emergency services and fire services are on site are trying to quell this fire. But my question to you, as Kosatu, who do you feel needs to be accountable for this particular fire? Sure, thanks. Um, look, whether it's criminal or you know arson or electrical failures, I mean that will must still be determined by the fire experts, the forensic investigators, and so forth. Um, but I think either way, whether whether it's arson or it's a simple electrical fault, we do think that the management of Parliament, um, which is paid to ensure the protection of the, of the integrity of the institutions, um, and of course the political leadership, the presiding officers, should be held accountable. Um, they're, they're entrusted with uh, protecting whether the national institution, a national key point, a, an important institution for our constitutional democracy. Um, this is not uh, something that has happened for the first time. You recall in March last year, there was a smaller fire at, at Parliament, and a report was done by experts advising Parliament what specifically needed to be done in terms of the smoke detectors, extinguishers, sprinklers, etc. And it's clear that Things are not done. Um, fires can always happen, but it should not have gone to this extent. Um, there was even reports in 2018 where external consultants were brought in and advised again that Parliament's health and safety and environmental plans are not up to scratch. They need to be fixed. This is an issue that our affiliate, which organized at Nahau, the majority of staff, Nahau, have been raising as, you know, as, as early as July last year. So for us, whatever happened, it's clear that things didn't work. Uh, we're paying a very heavy price as a country, and there needs to be an explanation from Parliament's management and from leadership. What have they done? And where they failed, there needs to be a sense of accountability. Now, f- from the talks um, on the ground, has anyone um, come up to, to say that they will then take accountability? I know everyone, especially the parliamentarians, um, are just wanting to get the report out as to what caused the fire. But from what you have said, has anyone said we will be accountable because this is our department? Um, to date, no one has said that. And some of the initial comments from some of the political leadership has been actually quite worrying, where you know, some individuals said, well, we're not responsible. The minute you accept to be a minister or a presiding officer, it means you accept the political accountability for that institution, so that if an official in an institution or something happens under your watch, you accept responsibility for it. Um, Parliament is not a poor institution. It has the resources needed to put in place the best equipment in the world. It has 1,400 staff members. It also has about 500 ministerial staff. The president, the cabinet, 454 MPs, many members of the public frequently are in its vicinity. So it has an obligation, not, not just under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, but politically and morally to ensure everybody's well-being. And clearly... That has not happened. Um, you're not talking about an informal settlement, which we know doesn't have the resources, are often at risk to fires with deadly consequences. Parliament's got the resources. So the, to be honest, there is no excuse. Uh, we have to wait for the report to say what exactly happened and who is responsible. 
But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the management, it stops with the political leadership of parliament. Well, uh, I hope that uh, that uh, accountability will be taken up. The, the major concern here is, is also the fact that um, we are hearing stories around the fact that there was no personnel, no security personnel um, on site at Parliament uh, when this fire broke out. Should that also not uh, be something that someone needs to be accountable for? Because if there was personnel and the fire detectors and the sprinklers were dysfunctional, um, at least there was manpower on the ground, there would have been manpower on the ground who would have reported a fire. Yes, I mean, so Parliament's got, you know, largely two types of security. Let's leave it to the bodyguards of politicians. Um, it's got uh, personnel from the police, um, from the VIP, VIP protection unit, who are really charged with securing the perimeter, the external, the gates of Parliament. Um, You've also got the protection service staff as well who are responsible for ensuring integrity within Parliament itself. So the police were on duty, but they only protect the gates, make sure that no one breaks into Parliament, etc. They're not going to walk around Parliament patrolling it, checking the fire extinguishers, checking the smoke detectors, etc. Because um, that's not their function, really. So the police were on duty. But of course, there is a question about how that one person who's been arrested managed to enter Parliament. It appears he, from media reports he entered a window which was open, etc. Um, but the, the staff that you're referring to is the protection service staff, where Nahau raised quite willingly that since December, those staff, the protection staff, were told not to come because there wasn't enough money to pay them the overtime due. And that doesn't make sense. Um, we understand the fiscal pressures of, of facing government and parliament, but parliament has managed to save a significant amount of money over the past two years during the lockdown during COVID-19. And parliament moved from being a physical to a virtual platform. Um, they managed to save a lot of money. So there was enough money for them to cover overtime pay. And if there wasn't, they should have made a plan. They should have redirected funding because you cannot leave such a critical national institution unprotected. It's it just is beyond explanation. And it's something that Nahau and other Kosatu unions and Kosatu have been raising that when government has been cutting the budgets, they must not go so far as to affect the protection and integrity of, of government institutions because it will be a heavy price to pay. And it's, for example, we're now seeing what, what is the consequence of neglecting fundamental security of government. A-teamers, uh, the lines are open for you to, to interact. Who do you think should be held accountable for the fire? And uh, uh, how far should that accountability go? Because at the end of the day, someone is responsible for uh, health and safety um, in every single building, and especially a building of this magnitude that holds our history, that um, also presides over decisions that are made for our country. So please do call in and uh, let us know what your thoughts are on 11 or WhatsApp is 0614104107. SMSs go to 41391. Our guest is Matthew Parks, Deputy Parliamentarian uh, Coordinator for Kosatu. For unskippable, no click baiting, and cookie free, with lots of real followers and likes. Place your sales campaign on SAFM. Radio is still the best place to advertise your business at affordable rates. SAFM, with its national footprint and top personalities, offer advertisers distinctive opportunities to reach their target audience.
Email sales at safm.co.za. SAFM, the influencer you can trust. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. We are in conversation with uh, Matthew Parks, a Deputy Parliamentary Coordinator for Kwasatu, and we are talking about uh, the fires that are currently ablaze in um, a Cape Town in our parliament. And we are asking the question, uh, who should be accountable? What can be done uh, to prevent such from happening? It's uh, the second occurrence in uh, less than 10 months, and it's, a, uh, it's a really a fire that has woken us all up to uh, a very heated and hot 2022 when we thought it was going to be an easier year. You can interact with us on uh, SMS 41391, WhatsApp 01, uh, 614 or call in on 011-714-2006. Let's go to a voice note. Patricia, nobody will take accountability for this party that is ruling this country because this country is not being governed. It is ruled. I don't know whether I can say these are Nazis now from Germany. But look what Nosebue did. He almost jumped over the table when they say he dropped the ball because he doesn't want to take accountability. All Patricia Delito was saying was think about the tenders, how they're going to to build it again. speaking Sure. Um, Matthew, you heard that one from our A-team. What's your take? No, I mean, uh, what the caller is saying, you know, has significant elements of truth. I was also quite decided when I heard the comments of the speaker. Um, to me, it sounded, uh, I hope I'm wrong, but to me, it sounded like she was ducking responsibility. Um, the minute you become a political office bearer, minister, speaker, president, you're responsible for whatever happens in your political area of responsibility, your institution, your department, your, or parliament. Um, yes, you don't expect the speaker to be walking around fixing wires, uh, making sure the fire extinguishers work. But she must ensure that her team under her does that, and they're paid very well to do that as, as, as politicians. So there can be no ducking and diving. That's why the president of the political party has got the right to appoint or, or to remove them. Um, and we have a serious problem in this country over the last 10 years, 15 years, of a lack of political accountability. I think the president is trying his level best to bring it back to bring back a sense of accountability, um, and this is a major failing of this. It's not a small incident. We're witnessing the burning down of Parliament for whatever happened, arson or electrical. But it's clear that there was a huge failing. It's clear that the smoke detectors, the sprinklers, the fire alarms are not working properly. Um, we're very lucky that no one was injured or died. We're very lucky that we do not have parliamentary staff on duty who were killed. Um, you're lucky that it didn't, get, it didn't become worse, that the president's house, uh, sorry, our office wasn't burned down, or other buildings in parliament wouldn't burn down. But it's, it requires a sense of humility from the political leadership to say, yes, there's a failure, we accept the responsibility, this is what happened, this is what should have happened, this is what needs to be done to fix it. Um, it's quite depressing that they were given a report a few months ago in August saying what needs to be done. Um, I've received correspondence from the House branch of Parliament from July, where they wrote to Parliament raising alarm bells about health and safety and environmental integrity of the institution. They had a report in 2018, also highlighting by external experts, 
you know, certain key failings around Parliament in terms of occupational health and safety and environment. And Parliament, of course, also is the custodian of all our laws. We have the Occupational Health and Safety Act. We often, as COSATA and, and as unions, um, correctly raise concerns when mine, mining companies, farms, schools, other employers don't ensure the well-being of the staff. How can Parliament not have met the same criteria? We spent the past two years as a country collectively making sure that when workers and the, and the public go to you know pick and pay, go to restaurants, wherever they go, that they should be safe for you know, in terms of COVID-19. So what is part of this excuse for not having done that for the own institution? So really, it's a huge failure, and we need to see a sense of humility and accountability from leadership, not uh, denials or attempt to run away from responsibility. Well, it, it's very uh, heart-saddening, the fact that you say in uh, August, Nahau had reported and submitted some things that need to be looked at, but uh, no attention was given to them. And this is quite worrying. And now I understand why accountability will be so important, because if you receive a report, you need to at least do some due diligence to see if there's, you know, a- any truth to it. And if there is, then action what's on that particular report instead of, you know, just laying it on the side and saying we'll get to it some other time. See now, we've got a blaze. Matthew, um, my question to you would be around um, uh, the, the workers now. Parliament needs to open soon. Um, and, and in fact, in a couple of days, <laughs> um, it, it needs to be opening as the 15th of January, if I'm not mistaken. What then will happen to the workers at Parliament, uh, their, their health and their safety? Because I understand that um, alternative um, uh, buildings are being seeked currently. Uh, the city of Cape Town has offered uh, some um, buildings and as well as uh, uh, the Cape Town uh, Convention Center. But what will happen to their safety if the building that they were so used to um, utilizing has uh, experienced what it's experiencing now and whatever building they'll be um, accommodated in, how will they know that that building will be safe? Yeah. I mean, look, so the Parliament has got about, you know, just about 10 or so buildings. So what we've seen, uh, the buildings that have been affected is basically it's the new wing where the National Assembly is, it's the old wing where the old Assembly is. So that occupy, that, that space is occupied by uh, most of the ANC MPs and the staff, the Speaker, the Chief Whip, and so forth. Um, is the chamber where the National Assembly sits. The other buildings don't appear to have been affected, so that's, you know, Tainhase where the President is, um, the Group Chambers, the Marx Building, where the opposition parliamentarians and their staff sit. Also, the other buildings occupy the parliamentary staff, so there is some, still some space. Um, obviously, the major disruption is around the National Assembly Chamber, where the plenaries of the National Assembly take place. But look, having said that, and I think one of the hidden blessings of COVID-19 has been is that we've all, those in the kind of white-collar work, so to speak, have moved to a virtual platform to a large extent. So, you know, last, sorry, in 2020, for the first two months of the lockdown, Parliament didn't do much work. But after that, it did a huge amount of work. <clears throat> it moved to a virtual platform. So where you saw the State of the Nation address, the budget speeches, um, the plenaries, the committee meetings, the public hearings, all basically took place virtually. And in fact, you actually saw an increase in the amount of work the Parliament is doing. Um, and this was actually a real benefit of COVID-19, ironically, because it meant that people could now participate in Parliament virtually. So even if you're sitting it in your house in Toyando or Kofimbaba, you could participate in the public hearing at Parliament. 
through your cell phone, through a computer or a laptop, an iPad, etc., um, as opposed to having to travel down physically to Parliament itself. So it's, honestly, you, Parliament can actually continue to do most of its work as is. Um, obviously, you know, say the National Address normally is a physical event, but look, they can make alternative arrangements for that. They can have the, the Cape Town International Convention Centre quite easily. And it seems the Convention Centre has already offered help. Uh, I think there's been a very good gesture from the Mayor of Cape Town, who's also offered <clears throat> um, the newly revamped um, City Council Chambers, which can take a thousand people at the Civic Centre in Cape Town. So I think those are positive gestures, and I think that's the kind of solidarity and collective solutions you want to see, where people rally together to try to provide help. Because this is not just about Parliament, it's about the entire country. Uh, Parliament belongs to everybody, wherever they live and whatever their political views are. So I think, ironically, we're lucky actually to have had experience of COVID-19, where Parliament, to be honest with you, can continue with its work as it is. Um, they Obviously, you can't go to those those two buildings right now, not for some time. Um, I think that's going to be a couple of years to repair those buildings, given the damage. But to be honest, I think Parliament can actually, with some disruptions, continue to hold the fort, and they need to do it. We need to focus on getting Parliament moving so they can hold the executive accountable. They can pass legislation, they can pass budgets, um, pass the, the taxes, etc. because you simply cannot afford for any delays in that regard. And I think also just to bear in mind lastly that we have elections in 2024, so these two next years, next two years are very critical to the party legislation. Um, so we really cannot afford any disruptions to Parliament's critical work. Now, there's also been some uh, calls from certain uh, individuals and uh, organisations calling for Parliament to be moved to Gauteng because of various reasons. <clears throat> as Kosatu, what are your thoughts on this? Look, we haven't really discussed it as Kosatu. Um, we do appreciate that society has had these discussions many times, you know, since 1994. Um, and this has been discussed, has been settled, and it goes off and on. I guess that's part of democracy. Um, there's always pluses and minuses, merits and demerits to whatever side you take. Um, wherever you locate parliament, <clears throat> you would have to incur costs. You would have to accommodate members of parliament. There is no one place where everybody comes from. So even if you locate a parliament in Kauteng, you're still going to be required to build the facilities, to build parliamentary villages to accommodate MPs, because MPs are not all from Kauteng. They come from the Northern Cape, from KwaZulu-Natal, etc. Um, other issues of moving parliaments would be you then have to accommodate the 1,400 parliamentary staff who have got homes in Cape Town. So that would be a significant cost. Parliament actually did look at this and did, did, did some extensive uh, research, etc. They got an assessment report and by external experts who... Um, raised significant concerns. The one concern was that the cost was estimated about five years ago to be about 10 billion rand. Um, that's something the government really doesn't have. Um, the other concern I think right now is that what is your priority in, in society? I think the chief would made a good point today, which is that right now our priority is a 46% unemployment rate, huge poverty rate, uh, 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 poverty levels, etc. But look, to answer to you, I think again, and it's what the point I was raising earlier. COVID-19, I think, has largely addressed this issue because it's always an emotionally contentious and even a divisive issue, to be honest, whichever mm. view you take. Um, but I think the fact that COVID-19 has made a parliament a virtual platform, so just like right now, you and John Espergan in Cape Town but are having a conversation, that's the same thing with parliament right now, that you can participate in public hearings, members of parliament can be in the constituency in Pumalanga yet attend committee meetings at the same time. 
um, that government officials in Pretoria can attend committee meetings, yet remain in, in the offices in Pretoria, and not have to spend time traveling and flying and driving or spend money, etc. So I think that virtual direct parliament is something we must actually retain long after COVID-19, because it really has democratized parliament. It's saving a huge amount of time for everybody, a huge amount of public funds, etc. And it really has brought... Parliament no longer really is a brick-and-mortar concept, a physical concept. I think, it's, to be honest, the future is going to be more of a virtual concept, like a radio station. doesn't matter that a radio station might be based in Johannesburg. As long as you've got reception, you've got a phone, then you're good as anybody else, you know? So I think for me, that's the actual that's the way to go. It's, it's actually academic right now, and the focus should be on the actual work of Parliament, which is about members representing the public, holding government accountable, passing laws, passing budgets, trying to improve people's lives. Not so much worried about the the physical trappings of the institution. Most definitely. However, our bricks and mortar uh, are currently under fire, and the cost of that, I mean, have you estimated how much it's going to cost to uh, to, to rebuild and refurbish the, the parts that have been damaged by water damage and also by the fire and smoke? I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody could have has estimated that yet. I think having talked to some of the colleagues at Parliament early today, one of the difficulties, and as also the Minister Delille said, is that Parliament is a national heritage institution, so it's also governed by that legislation. So when they repair it, when they rebuild it, etc., they have to make sure they're in compliance with it because these are old historical institutions, they're national monuments. So they can't just come and use anything. They can't just come and build it any which way they want. They have to get permission. So I think it will be significant, um, but they'll have to find the most cost-effective way to do it. My only wish would be they do it as quickly as possible, that we don't have a normal snail's pace um, of years and years that you often find it with public, public works department projects. And again, we should also want to make sure that it's transparent and we avoid the corruption, the tenders, the scandals that we normally see, which we wouldn't want to see again. Um, but look, for me, I think the most critical thing is Parliament continue its work. Let the repairs be done at whatever time and pace they need to do it. Um, that is sensitivity to the public fiscal pressures. The Parliament must do its work. Um, there's a lot of important bills that need to be passed this year, next year. They include the National Health Insurance Bill, the Expropriation Bill, the budgets, the tax reforms, pension laws, etc. You know, compensation injury on duty. Many things which are going to improve the lives of ordinary workers, farm workers, domestic workers. We can't afford to, to, to delay those whilst we're still out, you know, rebuilding broken windows, broken ceilings, broken floors, etc. Most definitely. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, and thank you for your time, Matthew. Cool. Thanks very much. That was Matthew Parks, Deputy Parliamentary Coordinator for Kasatu.